The anarchist pop star had a baby with the billionaire's son. It's a green-gray blur of guns and money. It was proof for those who needed it that she didn't really mean what she said. The syntactical evidence of poetry without the frame of poetry is a crime that is much more criminal. Or rather, if it is not in the frame of poetry, poetic syntax is evidence, mostly, of having no sense. There'd be no artode there, or rather, there is only artode, but not on these islands. There were seas, and these were rabid seas. There were islands, and these arose from the rabid seas. There were certain conventions at these times, to fly, to conference, to panel, to anthologize. In other circles, it was to contest, submit, or award. I'd never been granted anything. I was perfectly willing to assign to my own refusal some sort of pathology. I was already sick, so what would I retrieve? Poetry was the wrong art for people who love justice. It was not like dance music. Painting is the wrong art for people who love justice. It is not like science fiction. Epics are the dance music of the people who love war. Movies are the justice of the people who love war. Information is the poetry of the people who love war. You should know this, that feed is your poem. We get only slivers of the self-directed life. At first a pie chart, then something else. There is a brute in these rooms and apartments and duplexes and trailers and shared houses and single family houses and estates. The brute is not human, but like a bear, if a bear were a shadow and 10 times bigger than a bear. This brute like a shadow and a bear, not a human is named survival life. The brute is always saying something, is saying, give me the labor of your body, not the work of your hands. We fall asleep in that bear's arms. My favorite arts are the ones that can move your body or make a new world. What at first kept me enthralled wasn't justice, it was justice-like waves, and a set of personal issues, like the aestheticization of politics and the limits of reading lists before the digital age. In conclusion, there would be no army of clay soldiers in the tomb, just this, an army of dress forms. There is no superiority in making things or in remaking things. It's like everything else, old men who go fishing, hair extensions, nail art, individual false eyelashes glued on with semi-permanent glue, sewing clothes and re-sewing clothes, sketching, sketching animals, sketching human faces, sketching flowers, growing flowers, flowers, flowers that might even be marigolds and petunias, perfume that smells like party girls, perfume that smells like dowagers, perfume that does not smell like flowers or more like flowers mixed with the urine of jungle animals and some tobacco smoke, perfume that does not smell like men, one faux Chanel earring, sunglasses resembling those of RAF leader Ulrich Meinhof, hair pinned up on one side, purses that are not real, pockets on dresses and skirts, dresses and skirts, blouses without buttons, limiting each type of possession to one old suitcase full of that type of possession, tracksuits with rhinestones, zip-up onesie tracksuits, plump women, fat children, fat dogs, slender men, photos of Angelica Huston, the cracked, dirty swimming pools of low-rent apartment complexes, bleach-haired, bleach-haired boys smoking dope against the chain-link fence, 
the workers walking to their strip mall jobs, the strip malls, the dumpsters behind the strip malls, the karaoke nights and the bars in the strip malls, physique training, hypertrophy, very heavy weights, juicy Stacy, toy selecta, every apartment complex having its own ducks, waking up each spring morning to those ducks, the stateless state of contract labor, the invisible IV, also the invisible catheter, everyone hugging the duct tape replica like starving little rhesus monkeys, everything in everything, like there is no world but the world. So that's the poem. Um, thank you. Thank you, yeah. And uh, one thing, I don't know, I love this poem for a lot of reasons, but the, 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 the first line of the anarchist pop star had a baby with the billionaire's son, like, just immediately to my mind calls forth like Grimes and Elon Musk. <laughs> and I'm like, how did she like have this presentiment of what was to come in the year of our Lord 2018? Um, but yeah. yeah, I think this, that particular poem is like a really good glimpse into Ann Boyer's work. Um, and I'm wondering what you all thought of it. Um, do you want to um, talk a little bit about what you, um, the theme that you had come up with for yeah, this Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought today, um, in addition to talking about Ann Boyer, I think we're also going to touch on Wendy Trevino with the theme being um, sort of like working class revolutionary poets. Um, and these two poets in particular, I think, are doing really amazing, uh, like just badass work. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> um, Oki, can you talk about your relationship with Wendy a little bit? Sure. Um, so me and Wendy have been friends for a while, some years, um, probably since 2011. Um, we met during Occupy Oakland, cool. and we have some political history, and also we have, you know, both found each other and liked each other's poetry, like liked writing together, and yeah, it just kind of happened I also know Anne um, cool yeah awesome yeah um yeah so Garments Against Women I think is just an amazing book um and it reads like I think a lot of her writing sort of occupies this space in between poetry and essay um and it's funny because I was just reading today um an interview with Wendy where Wendy mentions multiple times in the interview that like the essay intimidates her mm. um and I wonder if they've ever read each other but that's like a question I can't answer um but I also love that Anne's work um it feels like a thought unraveling itself um and I like the feeling that I don't know where this sentence is going to land but I will be following along with it until we get there um yeah. Yeah, I have um, a handbook of disappointed fate sitting in front of me, cool. um, which is, um, I guess, all lyric essays mm -hmm. or, or essays that kind of like bend genre. And Garments Against Women is like a lot of prose as well, right? It is, yeah. I, I don't, let me just like flip through it. I don't think there's any, yeah, no, there's no like lineation unless she's quoting someone. Um, so, yeah, one could argue that it's an essay. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what that has to do with um, the, 
the, the working class um, or capitalism, but um, <laughs> working between arts um, is like something that came up in that poem a little bit. She was comparing like different kinds of art and their like efficacy. Yeah, yeah, and I love this line, where is it? Uh, yeah, information is the poetry of the people who love war. You should know this, that mm. feed is your poem. It's just like, oof. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I think something that's interesting, you, you mentioned like thinking about the relationship between sort of this like pr- prose poem doesn't feel like the right term, but mm. like essay poem um, and its relationship to the working class. Um, in A Handbook of Disappointed Fate, there's an essay called No!, and um it deals a lot with like just refusal and also um poetry as refusal and i kind of just like how she as a poet is refusing the line Hmm. um i don't know what that has to do with the working class but i think it's interesting i'm gonna look for a quote i was just reading like on the way here there's um Later on in that book, there's two essays that are, like, set up next to each other on opposite pages called How to Go From One and How to Go From Two. Yeah. Um, How to Go From Poetry to Art and How to Go From Art to Poetry. And there's a lot of writing in there um, that is really, like, breaking down, um, like, both poetry and art to these, like, like systems of, like, utterances or um, just, like like mechanisms that that make up what they are um and I was just like reading them thinking about um well I was actually thinking a lot about um uh an event that you did Oki with Wendy recently in Philly where you were talking about art and activism and the relationship between the two um and like reading Ann Boyer's writing um kind of like about art and about poetry and um like reading her uh, break down um, these different media into their constituent parts like made me like think like in what ways like like what you know constitutes art versus politics um, and like is there a way that like if you break them down into their little parts like uh, a work of art like looks very similar to like a political action um, and if so like you know in what ways is the one different from the other. I mean, like, you uh, and Wendy were were both, like, very clear at the event, like, that you don't think that, like, art is action. Um, and I think, like, yeah. the room, like, generally agreed. Um, but I do think, like, there are, like, maybe, like, actions that they share if you, like, break them down, so. I think there's maybe, like, if you look at the writing, you can sort of see, like, a sensibility or, like, a, yeah, an orientation maybe. Mm-hmm. Like when I think about their work and form, like what I see is like kind of like a lack of preciousness about mm-hmm. the form. Like just like use what you have, like use, you know, but also feel like you can use whatever. Mm-hmm. Like when you can use a sonnet, like I mean, like she says she's intimidated by essay, but like her work is also so essayistic. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was like surprised to read that in the interview because I was like, wait, what? (laughs) But there's also like, I don't know, I think like being intimidated and admitting that, but also like at the same time totally being bold and like Mm -hmm. taking whatever you want and doing what, what you want with it. 
Um, and yeah, and Wendy always says, like, she's not an experimental writer, mm. which is also fun. It's kind of similar where you're like, oh, but I totally see that. But at the same time, like, you're defining it the way you want to define it and then right. just using what you want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, in kind of like an ad hoc way. But, you know, I think they also have, like, their own, like, discipline. But it's just, like, defined in the way that they want to define it. Yeah. Do you know what, like, brought Wendy to state that their work is not experimental because I've seen that like Mm -hmm. that's like included in their bio in a lot of things Mm -hmm. like as the last sentence and I think it's so like it it really leaps out to me when I read something and I see yeah again I think it's like the orientation towards the art is Mm -hmm. like and maybe again the lack of like I don't know how to put it like preciousness like yeah rather than starting out thinking like I'm gonna do this like experimental work it's just like I'm gonna do what works right for me yeah and this yeah. thing that I'm writing that's awesome yeah mm-hmm. yeah and, and I think the I mean obviously like I don't know maybe not obviously but in my mind experimental poetry um has like a ring of like Kenneth Goldsmith or like mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. other um various douchebags of the poetry world <laughs> um so I, I imagine Wendy is, like, setting themselves apart from that. Yeah, um, I think that's true. But also kind of, I, I, I appreciate it as a statement. Kind of, yeah, like what you said of, like, this isn't an experiment. This is just what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, um, that also made me think about um, the essay, uh, also in the Handbook of Disappointed Fate, called Clickbait Thanatos, um, which mm. is um, kind of about like um, uh, the internet and uh, how um, the profusion of language on the internet um, kind of makes it so that there are lots of different kinds of language happening, of which poetry is only one that like go into the world to like affect the way people think and like I mean I don't know she puts it a lot better than that um but uh the internet um and like social media content tweets etc like those are all also forms um and like the essay clickbait thanatos like seems to be like pretty um uh, it seems to kind of like lament um the way that like uh like language on the internet has like diluted a space that like poetry like more prominently occupied but also mm-hmm. like Anne Boyer uses the internet all the time and I think is yeah. like, very comfortable with it so yeah I was gonna say something that I, I think about both Anne and Wendy is that they're both like extraordinary on Twitter <laughs> um so so yeah that's that is very interesting um, I've also said many times that I think that Oki is the best social media content producer <laughs> of our generation. So anyone listening, friend on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I, I sort of, I got to know Anne's work and Wendy's work in a lot of ways through the internet. Um, and I think they, I think that what was refreshing to me also was that like neither of them felt it was not like the internet writing was its own thing and then there was like the real serious writing somewhere else mm-hmm. like they were one and the same yeah yeah Katie uh, I think we've probably talked a lot about the relationship between um, the internet and uh, poetry specifically with regard to your work but yeah um, does the way that you use um, 
both of them like is it informed by your politics do you think um i i wish it was more informed by my politics i feel like more and more lately my twitter is just like where i go to complain because it's like the like (laughs) padded room where i can go to scream and like i won't scare people um but i do it's interesting to think i don't know i think about how like the twit you know a twitter feed or just the internet in general is just such a wash of language um and how yeah i don't like what you said Stephen, about how like poetry um having sort of this role taken from it by the internet where sort of anything goes um is very strange i don't know i, I just like as it's I don't know what this has to do with anything really but like when I like wake up in the morning and I scroll through the internet for like 15 minutes and then sometimes I like doze back to sleep and I, I wake up for real then and I'm like oh my god that was so weird I just absorbed probably like more information than my ancestors ever did in their entire lives <laughs> in yeah. like 15 minutes and like what is this doing to my brain um <laughs> but yeah. yeah I read an article once that said that um when you uh, when you scroll through a Twitter feed, every tweet that you choose to read or not read, your brain makes one decision, and like the and like the work of making a decision is like exercise for your brain. So if you like scroll through Twitter and make like three hundred decisions in a minute, oh like God. your brain is like out of breath. And I like that's that's made me Whoa. like go like whole days like without like looking at the internet. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. I've definitely like Pete has like looked over my partner's name is Pete and he's like looked over my shoulder as I've been scrolling through Twitter or Instagram or whatever and he's like, This like gives me motion sickness. I can't <laughs> watch you do this. <laughs> yeah, Pete Pete was on Twitter for a while. Has he like made it made the healthy choice to step back? Yeah, he has a very secret account that is um, uh, clothed in uh, a blanket of sports, oh, um, which okay. I th- I think is how he navigates the internet these days. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the quote that I was looking for in that essay is. Uh, Poetry, which was once itself a searching engine, exists in abundance now, as searchable and as immaterial as any other information. As it always has, poetry experiments in fashionable confusions, excels in the popular substitute of fantasies of its time, mistakes self-expression for sovereignty, but in making the world blurry, distressing, and forgettable, poetry now has near limitless competition. Mm. Um, which I think, yeah, is an interesting way to put it because like, I definitely believe that tweets, um, make the world blurry, distressing and forgettable, um, but to also like (laughs) own poetry is doing the same thing and like admit that like, that's like, you know, what we're doing when we're writing, I think is also like, cool. Yeah. It's interesting too, because the word, um, competition to me also immediately sparks like the competition of the free market and how Mm. I feel like poetry is just like shuddering away from that Mm. um and but like being forced into competition is something that i hate about the internet and also about capitalism so yeah amen you know yeah (laughs) um yeah but i would be interested oki to hear a bit more um about wendy and their work um I admit, I, I'm really only familiar with their Twitter and the stuff I was reading online today, so. <laughs> mm. um, I guess there's a lot I can say about it, but, um, well, I was thinking a little bit about the, I guess, like, what I can see about 
the two that I, I love so much. Yeah. Both Anne and Wendy's work. Um, and part of it is definitely the politics, but I think they, like, manifest kind of differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess, like, overall, like, what I see that really helps me, and I both, I do feel like reading both of their work really helps me, like, sort of against that, like, barrage of information that, you know, distresses me <laughs> or yeah. whatever and feels, makes me feel like I'm in, yeah, in competition with all the information. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think both of their work, um, yeah, continues to help me just, I, I think they provide sort of, like, a mat for thinking through things mm. um, in a way that isn't also isn't, like, afraid to be beautiful and lyrical when yeah. it wants to be, um, which I, I, I also think, like, it kind of takes a part beauty and takes the part that, like, helps us versus, like, just what is, like, aesthetic fluff or something. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, like, there is a part of beauty that I think is, like, I don't know, like, helps you survive, like, totally. what's boring and terrible. Um, yeah. So they're, I, I do think that they're both invested in lyric, and I think that's the that's a part of lyric that I like um, yeah. for that reason. And I also think, like, yes, they both have this, like, politics of refusal, and that's, like, built into how they observe, like, everyday life, you know, um... And I don't know, they don't shy from being like funny and mm-hmm. like just kind of have a fuck you like mm-hmm. <laughs> way of putting things a lot of times. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that there's a lot there that I see bridging the two. Um, I don't know, Wendy's work. Um, deals more explicitly with race, I would say, mm-hmm. and like yeah. maybe I mean I think Anne's work also deals with history, but I think um, and I haven't read everything that both of them have written, but <laughs> <laughs> um, especially Anne's very prolific. Um, but yeah, but w- Wendy's work deals with um, race and the borderlands and like deals a lot in the scholarship of that history, but also, like, her, like, lived personal history in that area and her observations, um, and, yeah, I just, I just find that, like, so crucial right now, right? Yeah. And then, like, Anne's work, a lot of it recently seems to be dealing with, like, um, like, the health industry and, like, around cancer and, just like how much that dictates our lives yeah like can ruin people's lives yeah totally yeah I have a copy of The Undying sitting here um Mm -hmm. and I've been very slowly making my way through it I think of anything I've read of Anne Boyer's it's like the most difficult read Mm -hmm. um perhaps for personal reasons um my mom had breast cancer when I was a child and she survived and she's been in remission for like 15, 20 years now, but reading it, um, and reading about Anne's experience with breast cancer in the health industry, it's like, I, yeah, I don't know, reading it, I've been, like, sort of forced to reckon with my mom's own cancer in a way that I have not thought about it before, because I was, like, 
a kid when that happened and like just didn't even really think about it and was like oh mom's just like sick and that's what it is um but like yeah reading Ann Boyer's account it's just like (laughs) oh my god um and also like the um just like how terribly you are treated in the healthcare system in America if you don't have money um it's really sad but that's like a total aside I'm sorry (laughs) yeah is the undying out yet it's not it's not um it comes out what is the date on it comes out in September Mm -hmm. yeah I remember um that there um the New Yorker ran an excerpt of it is that right I think so. I know I've seen bits of it. There was, um, uh, I, th- I think it, there was something in Granta that is like in the book that I recognized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, I like reading people's tweets about it. Like there were times when I like chose like not to read the published excerpts because ah, your brain I was, made like, that decision. <laughs> What? Your brain made that decision. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In order, yeah, in order not to completely uh, um, overwhelm it. Um, but yeah, um, I can imagine uh, both the lack of preciousness um, that that you brought up, Oki, and also like um, her ability to uh, uh, really like. Um, break things down and navigate what are like complex systems with many many parts um i can imagine those are both like very like useful tools to have um when dealing with something that intense and that complex yeah yeah definitely um okay do you have anything of wendy's that you want to read I should have brought Wendy's book, but I didn't bring it. Um, I should have told Sophie to bring something. But I can look for something. <laughs> okay, I think that'd be good. I would like to hear something. Yeah. Um, yeah, Oki and Wendy uh, did a really good talk at a place called the Paul, Paul Robeson House in Philadelphia. Um, that was just, the, the subject was just art and politics. Um, and there were supposed to be four speakers there um, and two of them ended up uh, not being able to be there um, so it was just Wendy and Oki and they really managed to uh, hold their own together uh, awesome. just yeah <laughs> talking about our art and politics for like a long time <laughs> <laughs> which we're trying to do right now <laughs> doing okay with. Um, while we're waiting for Oki to find a cool uh, uh, piece of uh wendy's writing katie do you want to tell us about the cursed dreams you had when you took a oh my god yeah no i took a terrible yeah i woke so i woke up this morning at like 4 30 because i had to take pete to the train station um regardless i didn't get a whole lot of sleep last night so i got home from work and i took a nap um and i had uh i had a dream that and this was also kind of weird i had a dream that i was on instagram and I saw that my ex-boyfriend got engaged to his current girlfriend. Mm. Um, and in the dream, I was just, like, really pissed about it. Because I was like, <laughs> you are a child. Like, what are you doing? You cannot get engaged to this woman. Does she know how terrible you are? Um, and, and like, in the dream, it just, like, it felt really, really real. Like, I even, like, saw the photo of them, like, announcing it. Um, and then that dream faded out into a dream where my cat found a wasp 
in my apartment and was like chasing this wasp around and I was like no you idiot you're gonna get stung um and then we like lost the wasp but I could hear it buzzing um (laughs) and then I woke up from my nap and Instagram was down so I was like (laughs) (laughs) so you don't even know if they did actually get married well right no because I I woke up and I had to check because I was like wait did I actually see that or was this like just a dream okay it was just a dream Well, indirectly, you got to tell him on the air here um, that he's yeah, terrible and yeah, a child. Yeah, and shit. <laughs> um, yeah, I've done a lot of work to get over my anger towards him, but he's still uh, on my shit list. <laughs> okay, I found a poem. Cool. I like. Okay. One thing I've learned, come to a provisional conclusion about... When it comes to fighting, there are people who will help you fight, and there are people who will not, and there are people who will stand in the way. Find the people who will help. Be loud and clear so they know where you are. Focus on them, be encouraged by them, encourage them, work with them. Don't worry about the people who won't help. They will be of no help even if they are on your side. Waste as little energy as possible fighting people who stand in the way which is to say, don't talk, don't argue, just get them out of the way of the fight you came for. TDL, TLDR, you don't, need to, you don't need or want the people who you know aren't with you to be with you. Mm. Really, you don't. That's great. I love how um, like plain spoken that mm-hmm. is. And just, yeah, like you said, like, Oki, you were saying you take comfort from their work, and like, mm-hmm. I just felt very warm listening to that. <laughs> yeah, no, that that reminded me of like almost like what they used to do at Occupy when like um, someone would say a phrase and then everyone would like say it back to them. Like there, there was a kind of like, um, like I feel like those phrases were like written so that everyone can understand them and connect to them and kind of like also make them their own in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's also, like, lessons learned. Like, mm-hmm. I can just feel with every sentence, like, both, like, I don't know, it's the weight of, like, oh, the people who's who have helped you, like, and how, like, everyone can think of, like, who those people are and, like, you know, and then the people who get in the way and, like, mm-hmm. all the wasted energy <laughs> of, <laughs> yeah. of, like, trying to convince them and, like, okay, like, this is permission, like, you don't need to deal with them, um, except to get them out of the way. And it's also, like, there's a politics there of, like, it's not just about, like, all of us getting along, right? It's, right. there are, like, lines mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> to be drawn. And those lines include, you know, people, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the, the organizing that I've done um, with a group out here called Reclaim Philadelphia, like one thing that they tell you all the time is like um, there, you know, you might have maybes that you're going to talk to, but like when you get a no at the door, like then you, you can walk away. Like there are people that like you're not going to convince because they're like not on your side and it's okay, yeah, for there to be sides. Yeah. Um, Katie, I'm actually interested, um, cause I don't think we've ever talked about this, um, on this podcast before, um, but you've done a lot of work with, uh, DSA in Kansas, um, like, 
what's that been like for you, like having been a poet for many years, like finding like activism and, and getting, you know, involved in it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I will say um, Kansas is a really funny place. Lawrence specifically, where I live, um, is sort of this sea, or well, no, it's an island of blue in a sea of red. Um, but it's funny because like um, Lawrence, I don't want to say it's neoliberal. There's not like an, it's not, it doesn't feel like a, ne- a city full of neolibs. It just feels like a city full of people who don't know what they are yet. And they're just happy to be living somewhere that's moderately more progressive than like the shitty little towns they grew up in. Um, so yeah, the DSA here, um, has really boomed in this last year. Um, I don't, I feel like I don't want to like overstate my involvement with them cause I have been sort of off and on this whole year. Um, just like being too busy cause I'm like really broke and like working all the time. Um, but yeah, the DSA here is really, really active and there's people coming to meetings all the time who, um, like I feel like they're people who like wouldn't call themselves socialists yet but they're like socialist curious um and that's just really exciting to me to see because that's something I didn't expect at all when I moved out here um and yeah like the relationship between being a poet and being an activist like um it for me it kind of comes down to these like somewhat boring like nitty-gritty like I help out with like the DSA newsletter here because I'm like good at copy editing or whatever. Um, but that's like where I feel I can do the most here because I'm like extraordinarily shy uh, around strangers and like knocking on people's doors is really scary to me. Um, but yeah, there's like definitely people here who are doing the work. Um, and I think that's important and surprising in a place like Kansas. Um, and it's also, yeah, Ann Boyer uh, grew up in Kansas um, and currently, she's currently abroad, but um, for the last few years has been living in Kansas City, Missouri, which is like just across the river from us here. Um, and yeah, I just think it's, I think it's just very um, encouraging to me that people like Ann can exist in a place like KCMO, because like, um, yeah, Kansas City is such a strange, strange, strange city. Like, I never thought I would hate a city more than Boston or St. Louis. And then I came here and I was like, oh my God, Kansas City sucks so much. Um, but yeah, we're here. We're out here. <laughs> cool. Um, isn't uh, Silas Edestrom also from Kansas or like Todd in Kansas for a long time? Yeah, I don't, I think, she, no, she's, she is Southern. I think she's from, uh, I don't want to say... I don't want to get it wrong. Um, she's from the South, but she currently teaches at DU in Denver. Ah, mm. oh, gotcha. But um, yeah, also um, definitely like a working class uh, revolutionary writer, I would say. Yeah, can you talk about her work a little bit? Because I read the interviews um, that you sent me, but um, I, uh, beyond that, um, I hadn't, I wasn't familiar with her before. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Sayla Satterstrom is really awesome. Um, I have read her books, The Pink Institution and Divinatory Poetics. Um, and it's funny, I posted 
a photo of um, the cover of the ARC of Anne Boyer's The Undying. And like immediately, like three of my poet friends replied being like, oh my God, that cover looks so much like Sailor Satterstrom's Divinatory Poetics. And then I held them up side by side and I was like, oh, they do look so much alike. It's like both have this sort of like curly cued snake on the cover. but yes, Sayla Satterstrom's um, The Pink Institution is um, this very weird little novel that's about a family living, I think, in the South, um, and the family's just really fucked up. There's like some incest, uh, murder, um, ghosts, um, but it's, uh, I think, sort of about like the hauntedness of land um, the hauntedness of like being a white family in the South and that legacy and like being a poor white family in the South and like what that means and how that manifests in various like evil ways in different members of this family. Um, and then divinatory poetics, uh, is kind of mind blowing or like I thought it was at least, um, Sela Soderstrom is, uh, I don't know what she would call herself, but like the word that comes to my mind is like sort of like a mystic um I have heard um from people who know her personally that she gives really intense tarot readings where like you know she believes she's like really communing with some sort of underworld or like spirit world um and divinatory poetics is a text it's a series of essays um, that it's sort of like a how-to, but it's also just like this exploration of writing as a medium, in a medium in the sense of like communing with another something, um, be it the dead or the spirit world or whatever. Um, but she talks about how writing there's sort of this throughout the book there's this propulsive element that like writing is you're like writing into the dark and isn't that sort of the same thing as like writing into the dark of death and the unknown yeah so that's my quick spark notes on uh sailor satterstrom (laughs) yeah um yeah i um i think i think what i read was the hyperallergic review of uh divinatory poetics um which um there was there was a lot of kind of abstract language in there about about like the way um, the way we read a text and um, I think I remember reading in that review and then also that interview with Silas uh, Aderstrom um, about uh, reading like like reading not for meaning but like reading the text um, like it's like a, 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 like a, a physical thing that you're. Um, interacting with and kind of like responding to or like mm-hmm. trying to imitate um, and I think like if there's you know any way that um, like like poetry and like a like material tangible way is going to like like be anti-capitalist I think it like has to do with like literally like um, like pushing you to like think differently or like question like something that comes as naturally to you as like reading a text and expecting to like like you know get the point or like get some like transactional like meaning from it by the end of it rather than just like I don't know something else yeah yeah no and yet like it's funny because that in my experience teaching writing and teaching poetry specifically that is like 
the number one thing I try to teach my students is like reading a poem is not it's not like reading a novel it's really a lot more like looking at art and it's funny because I have always like I, I enjoy reading tarot and like giving tarot readings to friends and before I had read Sailor Satterstrom's book um, I always thought like I would explain it to my poet friends like okay I'm gonna read your tarot but I feel like I'm like you know I'm not telling you your future I'm just sort of reading this like I'm reading a poem and I'm looking at these images and seeing how they work together and like how adjacent images might be interacting um so it was really satisfying for me to read Sayla's book and be like oh someone else has thought this too <laughs> and but like but what's interesting about her work is she takes it not only that like reading tarot is like reading a poem but that reading a poem is like reading tarot I feel like you were about to jump in there I don't know. No, I just, you weren't. <laughs> I was thinking that like, that makes sense. There's a lot of like associative, like I don't know, um, connect. Like it's about connecting things. Yeah. And yeah. Kind of riffing. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. Do you think <laughs> is is that are we are we there? I think are so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are we there yet? Yeah. We got it. We got a solid like forty minutes. Yeah. Um, any any closing remarks from mm. from anyone? No, I don't think so. Cool. Revolution um, is possible. <laughs> revolution is possible. Yes. <laughs> I say meekly into the microphone. <laughs> yeah. It starts here. Yeah. <laughs> on this podcast. Um, and when it happens, there'll be good music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank and God. good poems. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, thank right. you guys. It was nice um, chatting with you, Oki. Yeah. Yeah, thanks so much, Oki Sugumi. Thanks for having who me. I did not actually announce at the beginning, <laughs> but that's who she is. Um, cool. cool. All right, thanks, Katie. Yeah, thank you guys. Thank you. Have Later. a good night. Bye. Good night. Bye.